Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is The Power of Storytelling with Lindsay Stanberry. When you take away the like percentages and the crazy jargon and you know the intimidating men in suits, at the end of the day, it's what are the things that you want to buy with your money and how are you going to go about getting that money in order to buy the things you want? It's so simple and it's so complicated at the same time. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Lindsay Stanberry, the Deputy Managing Editor of CNBC Make It a platform helping you get smarter about how you earn, save, and spend your money. Prior to CNBC, Lindsay worked at Refinery29, where she launched the first work and money vertical, covering everything from retirement funds and paid family leave to inspiring female entrepreneurs. She'll walk us through the launch of the incredibly popular Money Diary series, a platform that shows how real women spend their money during the course of a week and manage it for the long haul. You can check out a compilation of all new diaries in Lindsay's book, Refinery29 Money Diaries, everything you've ever wanted to know about your finances and everyone else's. I can't wait for you to listen to today's conversation. In the spirit of money stories, Lindsay speaks directly to the power of vulnerability and storytelling. You'll leave the conversation feeling inspired to be bold, honest, and informed when it comes to money and your future. So this morning, it is a great pleasure to welcome to Money Stories our fantastic guest, Lindsay Stanberry. And I can't imagine someone who's more qualified to help us amplify the conversation about money and particularly women and money than Lindsay. She's written about it. She's spoken with many, many women in the past. Um, She's launched her own uh, series called Money Diaries. Now she's the deputy managing editor for CNBC, Make It Vertical and is really an expert and and in personal finance and a, and a very skilled and respected writer. One of the things, Lindsay, that I'd like to open the conversation with, since you've had so many experiences talking with other women, and I know you've mentioned that you actually never really thought you'd be a personal writer. You just sort of fell into it. So given that, what were your feelings and experiences about money at a young age? Can you reflect on that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah. I really, 17-year-old Lindsay would be shocked at what I do these days and what I can understand and explain um, in the conversations I have. Growing up, I was, we were really privileged growing up. My father was a doctor. My mother was a pharmacist. They both worked. They both worked very hard. They both loved their work. Um, so that was always really important to us. And not, money wasn't something we really talked about so much, but my mom always had a joke where she would say about my father's income, she would say, what's his is mine and what's mine is mine a play on that old joke of like what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine but she was basically like it's all mine (laughs) I think that while that was a one-off joke it really did kind of instill in me this importance of having my own career and my own income and and really there was a lot of self-worth put in earning your own money. And that was really highly encouraged. And so, you know, my parents always pushed me to go out and have my own career. 
So it was it was started with a value system then, it sounds like in your family. Yeah, I think so. You know, I married somebody who's very frugal. Ken, my husband, is is wonderfully patient with me and that I often talk about his um, cheapness, which since we've had a kid has gotten a lot less, he's a lot less cheap than he used to be. It's, <laughs> it's funny to see that change happen. And we're very frugal people. And I wouldn't necessarily say my parents are like that. And, you know, my mom marvels sometimes at what good savers we are. And I had a great aunt um, on my grandmother's side who's also a very big saver. And she's like, it, it must be genetic in that way. I must have gotten it from her in some funny way. So it's so interesting to me that a couple of the people uh, you've mentioned are women who gave you those examples, your mother and your and your aunt. Do you think that resonated with you or in particular when you were growing up or maybe more so now given your perspective in the field? Definitely given my perspective in the field, but I always had really great strong female role models in my life that I think were really, that was really something that I was very lucky to have and um, helped shape, I think, who I am definitely. And while I wasn't sitting down having really, you know, straightforward money conversations with my mom at the time, you know, and also wasn't happening with my dad. It was funny. We were on vacation a couple of years ago and he started explaining exchange traded funds to me. And I was like, dad, I <laughs> do this for a living. I, get I know it. what they are. Um, so, you know, I think that, that those conversations didn't really happen when I was a kid. And right. I, or even in my twenties, you know, it wasn't something that I really discovered, you know, talking and thinking about money until my thirties. And, I, you know, if I have any regret, I wish that I had known a little bit more about this in my twenties. So then you are contributing to that goal with your own career. Yeah. And the work that you're doing. Tell us a little bit more now that you're involved with this and your work at CNBC and prior work, you've really in an amazing way captured that need and are taking it out there into the world. So how has that work informed your thinking today? Yeah. So I started at Refinery29 um, in my mid thirties, I was 32, 33. And I actually took the job. It was supposed to be a temporary thing. I was a copy editor. Um, and I had just recently lost my job because the company that I worked for shut down. And it was the second time in three years that I had lost a job because oh. of budget cuts and things like that. And so it was in, I was very frustrated. Um, but I was also very lucky because my husband had uh, and I had been so careful about our money that we had enough emergency savings that okay. I was able to take a couple of risks when I was going through all this unemployment. And while I was at Refinery and I was editing these young writers, it really inspired me to start writing again on my own. And I wrote the story about how my husband and I saved $100,000 to buy our first apartment in New York. And we did it on a media budget. And despite having parents who had great means, they they didn't contribute to the down payment. And... Um, the piece really resonated with our readers and in part because I got really personal about the details of my right. finances. The and vulnerability. The vulnerability and the struggle to save and um, my husband eating peanut butter sandwiches every day. I realized that, you know, it was two things. It was one that I didn't think that the media was really talking to women about money in a way that felt accessible or informative, it kind of, you know, it was at a time when things were really dumbed down for women, you know, everything was about like, not buying a latte or giving us a hard right. time for buying shoes or calling it like a budget nista or a frugal lista. And everything was pink. And I just like, I couldn't relate to it. Or then you'd like go to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, and it was written geared toward like middle aged men. And, you know, that's changed so much in the five years since I 
started the work and money section at Refinery and, you know, coming here, like to CNBC, people are so much more eager to give young people advice than they were, you know, a few years ago. And I do also think that like the success of Money Diaries has also helped that conversation. So when you uh, started getting the feedback then from, from women and from the people with whom you spoke, did that give you encouragement about where women are right now themselves? Yeah. You know, it was really like I I wrote this story in part because I wanted to like dispel the narrative that millennials were terrible with money because I was like, I'm sure that there's plenty of millennials who are good with money. And here's my story. And then it was also that, you know, I had a lot of questions myself about like, how should I be investing? What should I right. be doing with my 401k? And I think the beauty of being in your 30s is there's less of a fear of asking those questions and looking dumb. So I just started asking questions. And then the next thing I really wanted to do was I only wanted to talk to female financial advisors. The beauty of working at Refinery was it was an all, it was a mostly female audience. And so I thought that if I talked to female financial advisors, they would, they would understand where I was coming from and they would give me advice. And, you know, that was actually really a mixed bag. I, I had some early conversations with people who would compare, who were women financial advisors who would compare like getting your finances in order to like getting a beach body. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not looking for that comparison. I just, I like, I don't want to talk about losing weight. We don't talk about that at Refinery either. So I worked with this young woman who I'm still really good friends with, Priya Milani. Um, and the two of us kind of carved out like a really a, a niche in this space. And we found that the readers were just like desperate for this information. We were getting, you know, a quarter of a million people reading articles about how to invest in your 401k, um, which was just incredible and um, making it accessible and telling these personal stories and then hearing from outside voices and hearing what their questions were. It was really motivating. Do you see any commonalities, and you mentioned interest in investing, and then the combination of reality of, of setting an ambitious personal goal? Where's the need right now? As, as you take your writing career and, and all this experience, what can do you think we can do right now with this whole conversation? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting. I still think that well, I think the media is talking about it more. I still think we're really struggling to get really good, solid advice into the hands of the right people, and they don't ever know to go, where to go for the right resources. Right. So, like, you know, how do you find a financial advisor? How do you know if you need one? And then it's so tough with money because it's so personal, and what I can do and what I'm able to achieve is very different from what the next person is. And there's like alternating goals, and then you get into like, you know, the racial wealth gap. And there's so many things to consider. And I, you know, I sometimes struggle with personal finance advice, because I think it makes it too simple. You know, the yes. advice that like, don't buy a latte, and you'll be a millionaire by the year 65, like is, is, is not true. But on the other hand, it's like, maybe you actually shouldn't buy that latte, if you can't afford it. So how do you kind of grapple with that? And that's why I think that like, Maybe some people would argue that the market is just flooded with these kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And I would say, no, let's let's keep talking about it. Let's keep telling stories because we're just we're never going to there's always going to be a new group of people who are looking for advice and trying to understand it. And there's always going to be a new story to tell because everybody has a different personal finance story. And each time there's something that a story that's told, you can kind of look at it and go, okay, that's me and I can do that. Or that's definitely not me. And I feel good about myself or that's not me, but I want that to be me one day. So I think that that's really the important thing about this. 
So when, when I got so interested in this uh, topic, I was thinking, you know, other aspects of our lives, our careers, mm-hmm. our, our health, our relationships, they aren't just done once. You know, it's like you say, it's an ongoing part of life. Right. It's something that unfortunately, maybe we don't quite realize that at a young enough age, you pointed to that. And so the way I see your work is you're really consistently saying to your audiences, this is something that is always a part of your thinking and planning and needs change and everything. So that's one thing I see about your work. Yeah, that it's a lifestyle thing, right? Yes. Like when you take it's away, part of your life. it's part of your life. When you take away the like percentages and the crazy jargon and, you know, the intimidating men in suits, at the end of the day, it's what are the things that you want to buy with your money? And how are you going to go about getting that money in order to buy the things you want? And I, it's so simple and it's so complicated at the same time. And there's you know, there's, there's going to be problems, you know, yeah. just like any part of life. There's surprises. You mentioned your own vulnerability today, mentioning, you know, a couple of jobs where the companies didn't work out and there you were thrown yeah. into a surprise. But yeah. you had the foresight of being prepared for that financially. It was the greatest gift that we had that money and that I was able to, you know, it was frustrating and it was scary, um, but I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't lost those, both those jobs. <laughs> so, you know, I think you can find the, the silver lining in these things. And I always think about that emergency fund and it, it gets harder as you get older. I have a, a kid now and I have a mortgage and it's not so easy to imagine that I could make a career pivot at this point. So I think that like really emphasizing when you're young, having that emergency fund. And it's funny when I went on the Money Diaries book tour, people would often ask me like, do I have financial regrets? And I would often say, you know, I wish I had traveled more in my twenties before I had a kid. And this senior editor that I worked with at Refinery at the time, Beret Lamb, who's now at the Wall Street Journal, um, she turned to me one day and she was like, well, I traveled in my twenties, but I don't have it my own, you know, I don't own my apartment and that's my regret. <laughs> right. Trade-offs. It's trade-offs, right? So Lindsay, you mentioned your family. So now, you know, you have, you mentioned your husband and I'm sure there are many great things about him. But one of the things you said this morning is that he's frugal. Yes. So that relationship, you know, if we have a significant other or spouse with whom we're sharing this important part of our life, financial uh, compatibility and those conversations beginning with our spouse. So it sounds like you two have been able to do that from from early on. Yeah. Um, that sometimes even hard for you? Yeah, of course. Of course. We don't always agree. Um, we're having an ongoing fight about some <laughs> furniture purchases in our apartment right now, right? Um I think that it's a challenge. It's a continuing conversation. I kind of hit the jackpot in terms of a husband and, and money because he's very careful with it, but he's also pretty hands-off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I tease him. I'm like, you were an economics major. How is it that I'm the one who's in charge of the money? But I think that affords a lot of freedom. But we also have a lot of conversations about it. And, um, you know, we talk about what our goals are and what we want to achieve and how we're going to spend our money and where we're trying to go. And um, so I think that's so important. And they're not always comfortable conversations. And sometimes we bicker over, you know, the $15 an hour babysitter that we want to hire. But, you know, generally, we're on the same page. So now you have a third person to add to that equation. Um, Still a young, a young child, pretty young child, if I'm if I remember correctly. So how early 
Do you think stalker your This is always a, a question I'm sure you get many, many times from young parents. I think about it all the time. I haven't actually been asked it before, and I've been trying to figure out what we do. Um, I haven't figured it out yet. We were he he's at an age where everything's a, he's he barters for everything, and um, Christmas was traumatic because he just thought the presents were going to keep on coming and. Um, uh, you know, trying to get them to understand those things is tough. And we were teasing him the other night because we were trying to get him to go to bed. And my husband was like, I'll give you $100,000. You get it at 18. <laughs> Can you go to bed now? And it's like, you know, it's just. What did you think of that question? I, I mean, he just, you know, he has no concept of what a dollar right. is or $100,000. So, you know, right. the joke, you know, the joke right. was between my husband and I. Um, I don't know. I, I, It's something I would like to teach him soon and to be having conversations about earlier. There's those great, um, I have a bunch of friends who've recommended those great piggy banks where you do the the save, the spend, the invest, the and the donate, which I think is a really lovely thing to do. Um, I never had um, an allowance growing up. You know, we, no, no, it was always, you know, my my mother was always like, you can have money until, you know, to do the things that I think are within reason. And if I think it's without reason, I'll say no. But, you know, I had a job in high school and in college and, you know, earning money from an early age, I would love him to do that. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm sure we will talk about it a lot. He's been listening to me talking about money. He knows that I have a book um, from an early age. So it's clearly a big part of our life. Oh, he's he's got Tremendous, a tremendous head start and, yeah. and a role model. You know. But you know, it does strike me. One of the things I wonder what you think about this. Um, once again, it seems like that our schools, maybe your school's experience was different, but most of us didn't have any tangible financial education from any school, preschool, elementary school, college, graduate school. So it's left on the hands of our of our families, right, to yeah. teach. That. Yeah, which is just thoughts about whether there's ever a way to integrate any financial education in in our education system. I mean, that would be my dream to be able to have the like time and energy to think about what that would be. I think that the Girl Scouts recently introduced um, a financial literacy badge, which I think is really cool. Oh, terrific! Uh, I haven't had a chance to ever look into what it actually is. You see sprinklings when I when I meet with really young college students. Um, Oftentimes, you know, they'll mention um, they'll mention different programs or I know UCLA had I had been in chats with them about coming out and talking because they have a financial literacy program that they do. So you see it here and there. The big question that I've always had, I think, Linda, you and I have talked about this before, is like, how do you get young women to care about investing and join the investing club on a college campus. Cause right. certainly that's not something that would have ever appealed to me when I was 19 or 20, like financial markets. I had an internship at CFO magazine in Boston when I was in college and it was so boring. And I remember having to go through the SEC reports looking for like, you know, big names and, Oh, it was torture. It's not your thing. Not my thing. Not my thing. So do you, Lindsay, do you think there's, if we could connect through these conversations that you're amplifying, do you think we could connect some of the things that some of us are drawn to, such as our own family goals and 
our goals for the community, the kinds of causes we're interested in. So I speak with many women of all ages who really do want to make impact. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear a lot, impact. And one of the things that I try to find ways to talk about is whatever you want to impact is going to be limited unless you really have financial wherewithal, right. financial assets. Right. So I don't I, I certainly don't have a silver bullet on how to do that, but I wonder if we can connect the end result that we do want to impact with, you know, okay, then we have to be interested in how it works. Yeah. Works. Yes, I agree with you. And you know, dispelling some of the like myths around it. And I, I don't know, I still marvel at the fact that like I agonized over being in calculus my senior year. And when was the last time I used anything to do with that? Right. Um, but then like understanding how to pay my taxes is still something I struggle with. I think that there, this conversation is happening a lot these days. And you even see it with the big banks trying to make like, you know, Goldman Sachs launching Marcus and buying Clarity Money and it seems like these conversations are happening even right. at the highest level. And I, ho- I hope that that means we'll move forward to to something better. And Well, I think you're right. I mean, the, the times is that your generation, so much has changed since my generation of the patterns of women's lives. Not totally, but more women are in uh, higher education more women are going into many, many fields. Let's face it, we would you agree that we're the drivers on consumer patterns? Yeah, there's lots of data that suggests that we are, I think it's like 80% of household spending is determined by women. So I, it, yeah, we're, it's a big deal, and, but it's still a struggle. And um, I did a deep dive last year into the motherhood penalty and looking at that and the sacrifices women make once they have kids. And, you know, it's so complicated. Right. And, and and that's why those conversations need to happen so early in your 20s. You know, these plans that you need to start making immediately from the time you probably graduate from high school and you decide where you want to go to college. But I also think it will be really interesting to see how millennials, you know, what they teach their kids about money, what they encourage them to do about taking on college debt. I just think that it will have to be different. I don't think we'll want to set our kids up to have the same, you know, struggles that we have. And right. You know, I don't think that our parents meant for us to take on so much debt and to have such a hard time. I don't think that they understood it themselves. And so that kind of goes back to like the education component. Right, the education component. And that's really what you're doing. You're you're in you're educating everybody yeah. who comes your way. I'm trying. I'm trying. I always tell people, you know, your parents are great, but they might not be the ones who you should be asking for advice. Very, very good mm-hmm. advice. And we want to, in these conversations that, you know, that you're having and we're, we're all having together, those of us who've been in this area, is really just continuing to encourage those conversations. And you do that every day. Yeah. And as we, as we kind of think about, you know, wrapping up, is there any, anything that you would like to impart to our listeners today? Any one piece of advice that you have? Or just tell us how we can learn more about your work. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that I think that while it, it's very simple, it's also very hard and it's very emotional. And to remind people that I say it in my book a lot, for lack of a better phrase, it's sometimes you just have to put on your big girl pants and do it and recognize that there's just going to be hard things in life. I will also say that I work with an incredible team of young women at CNBC Make It, and they are writing great stories about all of these tough topics. And they're just incredible. They're young and they're energetic and they really know their stuff. And I can't believe that I feel like 
I have to pinch myself that I stumbled onto this great team. So I feel like we're a little bit of a hidden secret still right now. Not for long. And Lizzie, just thank you so much for joining Money Stories today and for the work that you and your team are doing and keep it up. Thank you so much. Want more Money Stories? Check out my Instagram at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about the incredible lineup of women on our podcast and share your own money story. Until next time.